Good morning. Way to make it to church on Daylight Saving Time Sunday, right? Now, notice the second service is a little fuller than normal, so maybe there's a few of you that intended to be here in the first service, and then you woke up and you realized, we forgot. But you made it. You made it here. If you're joining us online because you were planning to come to this service and you're just now (laughs) logging in, that's okay too. We are glad that you are here and it is good to gather and to sing his praises. I don't know about you. I was really blessed by the worship this morning and very grateful for our worship team uh, leading us as they do. Um, As we begin this morning, I want you to think about a time, hopefully recently, when you experienced top-notch hospitality, just excellent hospitality. Or maybe you had just wonderful, wonderful service at a restaurant. Uh, Maybe it was in somebody's home. Maybe you went to a really nice restaurant and you were expecting everything to be really, really good, and it was. Maybe you went to an average restaurant and you had an excellent server that just made everything better. But think about it and think about that experience. Think about, you know, the the little things. It's often those little details that make all the difference. For me, my mind went to a Christmas dinner that that our local board of administration had just before Christmas. One of our LBA members opened their home and, and just laid out a beautiful, beautiful spread, beautiful table settings. Everything was perfect. There was great care and attention to detail. The food was wonderful. And there were special touches throughout the evening that just showed that thought had gone into this, planning and preparation had gone into this. And we ended up having a wonderful, wonderful evening sharing conversation and good food and just great community around a table. And uh, that fits our sermon series this morning. It also fits this message in particular, as we'll see in just a moment. But we're in a series, and we're wrapping it up today. And the series was titled Turning Tables. And we've been looking at tables from a variety of different angles because Jesus did a lot of ministry around tables. He interacted with people around tables, and not necessarily always the people that you would have expected. So we've had messages titled Flipping Tables and Skipping Tables and... Missing tables, and now today, setting tables. So just a quick review, in case you missed one of these. The first message we talked about, don't sit at tables that Jesus would have flipped. And we looked at the story of him cleansing the temple and the people that were exploiting those that were trying to get to God, and, and he flipped the tables on them, and he turned the tables on them. And we said, don't sit at those tables. Make sure we're not sitting at tables Jesus would have flipped. Then we looked at, don't skip tables Jesus would have sat at. And there are stories throughout the Gospels where Jesus sat with those people, with those tax collectors and those sinners and those people that had been shunned by most people. And we said, don't skip tables Jesus would have sat at. Because when we skip a table Jesus would have sat at, we're skipping Jesus because he is there among the least of these. Then last week we looked at don't miss the table that Jesus has set for you. And there was sort of a dual meaning. There's a table that Jesus sets for us in terms of salvation, in terms of welcoming us to the family of God, welcoming us to that great feast, that banquet that he has prepared. There's a table that's been set for us and he invites us to come to that table and to partake of the new covenant in his blood where his blood pays the penalty for our sins. So there's that understanding of don't miss the table that Jesus has set for you, but there's also a daily table. There's a table that Jesus sets for us every day. 
and he longs for fellowship with us and he gives us fresh bread from his word to sustain us and to sustain us spiritually. And so we said, don't miss that table either. Don't miss the table that Jesus has set for you. And so my hope is in this last several weeks that, that those catchy bottom lines have, have come back to mind throughout the week and that maybe if you were tempted to skip a table or sit at a table that Jesus would have flipped or, or if you were tempted to miss the table that day that Jesus had set for you that you responded differently, that you were different on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday because you came to church on Sunday and that's my prayer as I walk through this sanctuary once or twice or sometimes more throughout the week and pray over these chairs and pray over this space is that people would be different because they encountered God's word, encountered God's spirit, and their hearts were connected with him in worship. So today as we talk about setting tables, we're going to look at a familiar story. It's familiar because it's comes up a lot, but it's also familiar because I preached it in the last series as well. And you might be wondering, well, didn't you do that last week? And I promise, I promise that's not my plan for the whole year to just recycle six or seven messages over and over and over again. It would be fun to do that and see how long it took people to catch on. It's like, wait, didn't we already do that one? Um, (laughs) In fact, uh, you know, one pastor said, most people in your church don't have a vitamin K deficiency, K for knowledge, They have a vitamin A deficiency for application. It's not that they don't know enough. It's that they don't apply what they know enough. And so maybe it's not a bad idea for next year. And we'll just have a sermon series that we do a half dozen times. I don't know. We'll see. But today we're talking about setting tables. And our bottom line, I'll give it to you right now. It's right there in the text. Don't, don't, don't fail to set the table for others. Don't fail to set the table for others. That's a, whole, that's a part of the plan. It's a big part of the plan, as we're going to see here today. Because the table has been set for you. It's been set for me. It's been set for all of us. And it is set for us every day. And if we think about it, if you think back in your own story, maybe a name or two comes to mind of somebody that helped Jesus set the table for you. Somebody that was instrumental in your faith journey or has been instrumental in your ongoing faith journey. Maybe there were multiple people, and you can call out sort of links in the chain over time. And so the question becomes, will you join Jesus in helping set the table for others as well? That's our topic today. And we're going to look at a familiar story, a very important story from Jesus right at the end of his earthly ministry and his teaching. This is, one of the, this is the last formal teaching that we have in the book of Matthew before the mock trial begins and the red letters are basically Jesus's response to that mock trial and his last words from the cross. And then we're going to look at a great story that illustrates this whole concept beautifully and powerfully from the early church. So if you want to go to Matthew chapter 25, uh, if you've got one of those blue hardcover Bibles here in the sanctuary, it's on page 1542. We'll save you a a few seconds getting to it. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you found us and, and you're invited to just read this along on the screens, but I always welcome people to pull out a Bible, make some notes, highlight some passages that you want to go back to. This is known as the parable or the lesson of the sheep and the goats. So I'm going to read it and we'll pause a couple of times just to clarify a few things um, as we move through this. But Jesus is 
in a long section of teaching, and he begins in verse 31 with this familiar story. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Uh, Time out, just a little side note here. Interestingly enough, in this story, sheep is a positive thing. You want to be the sheep. You want to be the ones that are on the right. Goats are negative. You don't want to be numbered among the goats. And I clarify that because this has sort of been inverted in modern terminology sometimes, that sheep has become a derogatory term. And it's one of my least favorite, uh, especially when I hear church people saying, oh, they're just a bunch of sheep, you know, as a derogatory term. It's that we have a shepherd and we are to be the sheep of his pasture. This is supposed to be a good thing. So in this story, sheep is a good thing and goats are a bad thing. And and today, goat often means greatest of all time, right? It's an acronym, G-O-A-T. And so you might, if you have an informed opinion, you might say Michael Jordan is the goat. He's the greatest of all time, the greatest basketball player of all time. And you won't even listen to the nonsense uh, that people try to come up with, uh, you know, other people that might be the greatest of all time, right? Or Michael Phelps, the swimmer, you know, the greatest of all time. I've, I've highlighted him as an example before. And so goat is often used in a positive sense. It's not used as a positive sense here in this story, okay? And so as, as the teaching continues, Jesus says in verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, I think we can all agree these are good things to do in general, right? Like feeding hungry people, giving water to those that don't have it, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, welcoming the stranger. These are all good things. And I wonder if you can think about a time in your life when that was you, when you were hungry. And not just in the modern American sense of hungry. See, we don't get hungry in America. (laughs) For the most part, most of us have maybe never really been hungry. Like all you can think about is food hungry and you don't have any hungry. In America, we get ready to eat. <laughs> you know, it's been five or six hours. I, I would like to eat again. And we say, I'm hungry, but we don't know hungry. The closest that I've ever been to hungry in that sense was we did a five-day challenge with a church that we were following online at the time called Celebration of Hope. And it was really simple. You got one cup of rice and beans three times a day for five days. Not one cup of rice and one cup of beans, as I had to be corrected. <laughs> one cup of rice and beans mixed together. Three meals a day for five days. And I can tell you, by the afternoon on Friday, I was hungry. I was living on a subsistence diet, what two billion people would be very grateful for. And an interesting thing happened. I came to loathe the rice and beans. <laughs> like, if that's all you have, three squares a day, for four or five days, bean breath, 
dominates your aura. (laughs) And there's nothing you can do about it. And the other side of this little challenge was that the only thing you would drink was tap water from a paper cup or a plastic cup. Now, you could have as much as you want, which isn't necessarily the case for our brothers and sisters around the world, but you could have as much as you want. Let me tell you, by the afternoon of the second day, I was thirsty not for more tap water from a paper cup. I was thirsty for coffee. I was craving coffee. I was dominated by a withdrawal headache, and I went back and forth from loathing how much I wanted coffee to loathing how much I wanted anything other than rice's means. And so that's the closest I've ever been. Maybe you can identify at some point in your life, but in my story, it was voluntary. I could have broken the little challenge at any time and gone and had a cheeseburger. And so many of us have never truly experienced that kind of hunger, that kind of thirst. Many of us have been a stranger where we've been on the outside. You might have to go back to middle school or high school and where you were the new kid or where you didn't fit in and somebody was kind enough to come and to sit at your table or to say, you can sit with me or to, to seek you out and include you and introduce you to some other people. There are people here at Linwood who have been here for decades who part of their story is that first time I came. Somebody introduced themselves to me and then introduced me to two or three other people and helped me to belong. And I didn't feel like a stranger anymore. And when I came back the next week, those people greeted me by name and said they were glad to see me. And, and this is everybody's job. This isn't just one or two people's job or the people who are serving in the hospitality ministry that day. Maybe you've been without the clothing that you needed and somebody provided that for you. Or maybe you've been in a school setting where you were able to give a coat or a hat and gloves to a kid that didn't have it. And you recognize just how important that really was. Maybe you've been sick and somebody's come to take care of you literally and provide the care that you needed and you recognize that. You can put yourself in that story or maybe you've been in prison and don't laugh because yes, there are physical prisons for people who have lost, you know, lost their way, who have broken the law, but there are also metaphorical prisons of addiction and grief where people came and they visited us And they sat with us in the midst of a dark place until we had the strength to go forward. And if you've been in any of those situations, I bet you remember who was there. I bet you remember who brought you food or who came to visit you or came alongside you with strength. And so as we continue, this story sort of gets turned on its head a little bit. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. Whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. And Jesus is basically saying, when you do it for them, you do it for me. When you do it for them, when you clothe the naked, when you feed the hungry, when you give clean water to those that don't have it, when you visit the sick and those who are in prison and you welcome in the stranger, when you do it for them, you're doing it 
for me. And the flip side is presented very clearly in the next couple of paragraphs, which we won't look at in detail necessarily, but it's basically now it turns to the goats. And they're cast into the outer darkness. And and he says, because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. And they said, when did we ever see you? Surely we would have done it for you. They said, well, whenever you didn't do it for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And so this kind of ties back to the skipping tables message. Where we said, if you skip tables that Jesus would have sat at, you're skipping Jesus. You're skipping an opportunity to have fellowship with Jesus, to come alongside Jesus in what we're talking about today, in setting the table for others. Because when we skip those tables and we overlook those people, we're skipping Jesus and overlooking him. And clearly in this story and clearly throughout the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, we see that we should be setting the tables for others. We should be going out and finding them and bringing them to the great banquet feast as Jesus talks about in Luke 14, not skipping their tables. So our bottom line is don't fail to set the table for others. There are others that you can reach that nobody else can reach the way that you can reach them. Don't fail to set the table for them. And there's a powerful story of someone setting the table for another person in the early church, for a stranger, for an outsider, and doing it in exactly the way that we're talking about here. And it's no understatement to say that this person changed the course of world history by setting the table for someone, by welcoming in a stranger. You can read the story in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31. And if you're familiar with Acts and the way that the narrative of Acts plays out, maybe you just read it in the Bandy Together journaling process that we did at the beginning of the year, you know that in Acts chapter 9, Saul gets knocked off of his donkey. He turns into Paul, the missionary. He goes from Saul, who persecuted the church and was trying to kill Christians, to Paul, who is the greatest missionary of all time. And shortly after that, he stays in Damascus for a little while after he comes to faith and and comes to salvation and pledges his life to Jesus, to serve Jesus. And he begins convincing people in Damascus that Jesus is the Christ. And there's conversions that are taking place. But this is before there was YouTube and Facebook and email. And so when he comes into Jerusalem, as we're going to see, they still remember Saul, the Christian killer. And they're not too keen on this Paul that is standing before them. And as we read in verse 26 of Acts chapter 9, when Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now, this is a reasonable fear. They didn't know what we know. But, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved out moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And this sets up a pattern that people were always trying to kill Paul. Everywhere he went, somebody was trying to kill him. And so when the brothers learned of this, they took him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in number, living in the fear of the Lord. 
And so this becomes a pivotal moment in the life of the early church. And Barnabas plays a pivotal role in Paul becoming who he was. And it makes you wonder, what if Barnabas hadn't taken Paul in? What if Barnabas hadn't set the table for Paul, vouched for him, said, I'm going to take you. They trust me. And so they'll trust you because you're with me. And make that introduction and, and set the table for Paul to have the ministry and the impact that he had. And a few chapters later, it's Barnabas, again, whose name incidentally means son of encouragement. And I just love that about him, that Bar is son and Nabas is the Hebrew word or the Aramaic word for encouragement. So he's a son of encouragement and he's the one that comes along, alongside Paul with strength. That's what that word encourage means, to come alongside with strength. And he goes all the way to Tarsus to get Paul and to bring him back to Antioch, which becomes the launch pad for their first two missionary journeys that literally turned the world on its head. And for Barnabas to go to Tarsus was no small thing, okay? That's not like, okay, after lunch I'm going to run over uh, to Mitchell or even to Rapid City and get somebody and bring them back here, right? This was multiple weeks journey, getting on a boat, booking passage, getting to Tarsus and looking for somebody was not as easy as it is today. There were no phone numbers. There were no, none of these things that we just take for granted. Like you could literally take off today with nowhere to go and nowhere to stay in Kansas City. And by the time you got there, you could have a reservation and a place to eat and all these different things. That wasn't the case back then. And so he goes to great lengths a second time, I believe, to set the table for Paul. And there are countless similar stories. Maybe you have one where somebody set the table for somebody else, where somebody maybe set the table for you. One of my favorite is a pastor named Craig Groeschel. Maybe you've heard of him. He pastors perhaps the largest, definitely one of the largest churches in America and probably even the world. Life Church, just before the pandemic, they topped 80,000 people in live attendance, in-person attendance, and tens of thousands online. And they've been very innovative in creating uh, online platforms for people to engage in worship. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you're joining almost 500 million people who have the Bible app. Life Church created that and gave it away for free. So he's had a pretty big influence, you could say, on the world. And he loves to tell the story about how Pastor Nick, just a regular pastor in a regular Methodist church in his college town, took a chance on how Craig refers to himself as a cocky frat boy, <laughs> took a chance on him and trusted him in ministry, said, I see something in you. I believe God wants to do something in your life and, and turned him from a cocky frat boy into one of the more influential pastors in America and maybe even the world. And he sees that as a responsibility to set the table for others and to do it for free. They don't charge for any of their resources. They just give everything away. It's amazing. And it made me think about my own story. What if John Spear hadn't invited me to his men's Bible study? What if he and his church hadn't taken a chance on me at the ripe old age of 26 and put me on the board of finance to help manage a $3 million budget and a $20 million building project? What if you hadn't taken a chance on me and put me into leadership as administrative pastor and, and basically set that whole project on my desk? 
What if he hadn't set that table and poured into me and mentored me and then released me? I don't think I would be standing here today. And so when we set the table for others, we never know how many dominoes are going to fall. And sometimes we're there and we sort of seal the deal. Other times we're just a link in the chain. And that became evident in our our parent forum evangelism training last week. You're not responsible for the outcome. You haven't failed if you share your faith. If you try to set the table for somebody and they reject it or they brush it off, you haven't failed because you were obedient to share your faith. You were obedient to set the table even if they walk right on by it. Our focus has to be on the obedience to set the table for other people. And what if somebody hadn't set the table for you the way that they did? Think about that. Was it a parent? Was it a grandparent? Another family member? Was it a pastor? Or a leader in a ministry? Or a teacher, perhaps? A friend? And this is why this matters so much. This is why our mission statement is to reach people for Christ. To go out and set the table. Give them a place to belong. Say, I have a church I would love for you to come to. And to invite them a second time and a third time. Sometimes they just summarily reject it, but if you come back a second or a third time at a different season in life, they might accept that invitation. So whose story can you be a part of? Who can you set the table for? And will you set the table for them? Too often, I think, in the modern American church, we just delegate this to the church staff. Well, they can take care of that. But as I look out over this room, I see well over 100 people that know thousands of people I will never meet unless you bring them to Linwood. You know people in your neighborhood, students, you know people in your schools that I'm never going to meet. You know people in your workplaces, in your families that I don't know, that our staff doesn't know. And you have an opportunity to set the table for them to come and to experience Jesus or to be at least a link in that chain. And so I want to encourage you today to pray a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that goes something like, God, who do you want me to set the table for this week? And then do it. Make a list. Maybe there's more than one. Maybe, maybe you could get a group of people together and just help them connect to each other and to God and to you. There's all kinds of ways that we can set the table for other people. There's all kinds of ways that we can be a link in that chain. And it might get messy. I'll warn you. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm just letting you know. It might get messy. It might get complicated. It might even become costly. But it might just be worth it. They might just come up out of the waters of baptism. They might just step into ministry someday and set the table for countless others. You just never know. And our posture has to be one of obedience. Okay, God, I'll set the table. I'll make the invitation. I'll reach out. I'll extend a hand. Now, a couple of weeks ago, somebody said, have you heard about Layman Luther? And I was like, you got me there. I've never heard about Layman Luther. And he said, well, I want, I'm going to share a video with you. I think you'll really like it. And uh, it's a story that we're going to watch here in just a moment. And it has to do with tables, which is cool. And it has to do with setting the table for other people. So we're going to show this video in just a second. For those of you that are joining us online, 
copyrights are such a mess and we can't we can't stream this we can show it to all of you in here you're not breaking the law by watching this video but we can't stream it so we've got a QR code that, or a link that takes you directly to the video so you can actually just like pause the stream go watch the video come back and join us uh, but for the next minute and a half or so uh, the stream is going to be muted and you're going to have a QR code or a URL that you can use for those of you in the room we get to watch it together Talk about setting the table, right? Now, maybe you don't go and start a business and employ people coming out of the prisons or the prisons of addiction, but that started as a simple idea, and it turned into something bigger. And so I would encourage you today, just take the next step. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart in regards to setting the table for other people, take that next step. And as we close this morning, I know this is a little bit morbid, and a little bit of a downer, but I want you to think about your funeral. As a pastor, I probably go to more funerals than most people, and I'm struck by this realization that the best funerals are packed with grateful people whose lives have been touched or changed or enlarged by the person that they're there to celebrate. And they're there giving thanks to God and giving glory to God and celebrating a life well lived. And so I want you to think about who's going to be at your funeral and what are they going to say? I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of people at Brian Preston's funeral. There's going to be multiple generations from the lives that were changed because he was willing to set the table for people. And that's not even necessarily a Christian eternal perspective that's being highlighted there. Like, will there be people in heaven because of you and how many? And how much glory will God get from your life? Because to be clear, it's not about how many people come to your funeral to celebrate you. It's how many people come to your funeral to give glory to God and celebrate a life well lived. Don't fail to set the table for others. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful. Grateful people. Grateful for the way that you have set the table for us and grateful that you don't stop there. You invite us to be a part of someone else's story. And so, Lord, we thank you for the people that have set the table for us. We thank you for the people that We'll go to their funeral and we'll celebrate a life well lived. And we pray that you would lay them on our heart to tell them right now to not wait. Lord, we pray that you will also inspire us, encourage us, remind us to set the table for others, to join you in your great redemptive mission and bring countless others to the faith through simple acts of obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.